The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Amen. What a good word from Angela Richardson, just reminding us what we're about to look into in God's word and how good he is. Uh, we're going to Isaiah 43 if you want to turn there. But before we get going, I uh, just want to remind you guys about Backpack Buddies. It's a great opportunity to be able to help provide for some kids who are in need, uh, both in uh, the temple area and the surrounding area. So uh, you can go online, go to the hub of our website to get signed up for that. Uh, they provide, I think it's over 13, 1,400, maybe 1,500 backpacks uh, full of school supplies every single year. So it's just an amazing opportunity to partner. Uh, with this ministry as we reach out and just so many churches all over the area doing this. So appreciate your help there. So we're looking at Isaiah 43 and a deeper understanding of God today. And as I looked into this passage uh, over the past few weeks, I was reminded of uh, just really how it seems like a sequel to Psalm 139, which I had the opportunity to speak on a few weeks back. And so it's just kind of like this reminder of God's goodness, his faithfulness, even though we go through difficulty. God turns from lament toward unrepentant Israel in chapter 42, and he turns from it to his endless mercy based on his covenant with Israel in chapter 43. When reading these passages directed toward Israel, uh, we can understand that some things are specific to the Israelites. So we can't go and claim every single thing that God says to the Israelites because it gets really awkward and weird if you claim certain things that are said to Israel. But we do need to understand that uh, there are biblical, biblical concepts found with these passages about God and his people that very much apply to today. We've been grafted in God's covenant and his mercy is fully available to us in the same way that it was to his people. Paul explains this pretty well in Galatians in chapter 3, verse 26. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So for us, we can claim certain promises that God gives to Israel, including in Isaiah 43. So today we're going to look at four powerful results in seeing God in a deeper way. And the first one we're going to look at is a deeper understanding of God allows us to face any difficulty with faith and confidence. Look at verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, he, who, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. And what a powerful statement and series of statements about who we are in Christ. Fear not, he starts with. If you know anything about scripture and you've studied scripture in the Old Testament, you see that being said a lot. When angels appear, they're pretty scary beings apparently, and it's fear not. When uh, God was talking to Joshua to give him this bold goal, you know, and even Gideon and other people, characters in the Bible, it always started with fear not. There's always something to fear. 
And so for us, trying to escape fear is really one of those things where it's almost unbiblical, which we'll look at later, where it's sometimes we have to embrace fear because that's what we're called to, something that might be scary, something that might be fearful. So why this statement? If you look at Israel's history, you see that it's full of opportunities to be fearful and to create a healthy fear of God. You see stories about uh, when they would go their own way and certain things happened to them uh, that I don't know about you, if I was, saw my buddy be swallowed up in the earth whole and disappear forever, that might create some fear. If you saw thousands of people dying around you unless they looked at a pole with a serpent on it, you might start to get a little fearful, right? Is it, is it my time next? Because I know I've screwed up too, Right? And so here it is, they're living in some form of fear, they, they, but this gives this uh, immense power of God and, and this justice of God put on clear display, a lot more clear than maybe we see it today. So these stories have been passed down year after year, generation after generation. So even in Isaiah, they're still fresh in their minds, these stories that have created this healthy fear of God. I love, though, his reason for why we shouldn't fear because oftentimes we're just told not to do something. I know as a parent, I make the mistake of just telling my kid, right, not, don't do that. But instead of like why or, or give them some solutions to what I tell them negatively, but here he says, here's why you shouldn't fear. Three things. I've redeemed you, I've called you, and you're my possession. What a great thing to meditate on if you're a believer in this room today, that you're redeemed by our great God, that you've been called by name, and that you are his possession. But also, maybe if you're in this room and you're just checking out this church thing and you're not quite sure about what to do with all this, you have the opportunity today to be redeemed by God through his son's blood to be called by name, to even have your name written, as it says, in the Lamb's book of life, and to be the possession of the great God of the universe. What an amazing thing to dwell on. He says, I've called you by name. It shows the personal nature of God, as we can see in John 10, 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This is backed up by the statement that follows, not only are you called, but you are mine. Makes me think of a, the picture of adoption. Many of you in this room have adopted over the years, and we got to adopt our youngest of the four we have. And I remember you know, us getting that call, and I'm in between basketball games, and I get that call, and it's like, hey, uh, Candace is saying to me, hey, if we want this little boy, he's a week old, he's gonna be at our house in two hours. And I'm like, oh, wow, I dropped the phone, okay, uh, better get home. Guys, you got next, uh, you know, I can't play, apparently. Uh, so I uh, rush home, get things together, and we welcome this guy. But he was called by name. We got to name him. He was part of our family. He was declared one of ours, and he always will be. But in a better, greater sense, we get a picture here of being redeemed and called by name by our great God. Ray Ortland Jr. puts it this way, what matters most about you is not what you deserve, but whose you are. Whose you are. 
He gets into verse two and he talks about rivers and waters and fire and we've, we just sang, I mean, even as we're singing, I'm like passing through the fire and things like that. It's just so many good images in our, in our worship today about what we're speaking of, the rivers, the waters. And as people read this from Isaiah, even back then they could see and remember again these stories passed down of waters parting and their imminent death and all of a sudden the Red Sea, bam, open. The Jordan River, same thing and all these different pictures of water and then he gets into fire and you know they had to imagine the, the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in that fire and who appears with them. Did he pull them out of the fire? No, he joined them in the fire. And here's Jesus, this fourth person in the fire, right? So he gets into waters and fire and he says something interesting in verse two. What are the first two words? What are they? Yes, when you. Does any of your versions say if you? No, they shouldn't. If they do, get a different version. It's when you, when you face these, when you face the water, when you face the fire, it's a guarantee, you can find that guarantee in James 1. You will face trials, you will face testing, you will face difficulty, it's a guarantee as a believer, as a, as a human being. And I read this one commentary that kind of helps us understand the water and fire reference. He says, water kind of represents the circumstantial struggles, like we heard in our video, of cancer and different things that we struggle with. And then fire is more the persecution struggles. When we live out our faith, when we encounter different times of persecution in our lives, 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the, fi- very, the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter's like, don't be surprised. It actually means you're probably following Jesus when these trials come your way. When it comes to trials, and I was kind of meditating on this a little bit this week, uh, I realized that for myself and maybe you as well, we often, when we experience trials, we try to see the quickest escape path, right? Where's the closest exit? (laughs) Please point me to the exit of this trial right away. And it's just a natural human response. But God reminded me this week that that's really not necessarily the response we need to have when it comes to trials. My family and I had the privilege of going to family camp at Pine Cove this past week. And as we heard different family representatives share struggles within their own families, it reminded me of how God designs these for a purpose. Hearing of two women in our presence who are actively struggling with cancer who are young. Hearing of a child who's struggling in another way and just family after family going through trials and difficulties and, you know, sometimes that's just right where God wants us to be. Sitting in a trial and a struggle with no foreseeable exit. No hope. As as hope as it is the world offers. But here's what I know about trials, the limited trials I've been a part of, and I'm sure some of you have been through way more. But my faith was never stronger than when my family and I walked through my mom's cancer surgery when I was 15. My trust in his plan was never more firm than when I watched my dad go through heart surgery after we got married. 
My prayer life was never sweeter than when I watched my wife battle for her life after complications with my son's birth. My hope was never more on target than as I watched my oldest daughter, Sydney, go through knee surgery and my second daughter, Kendall, go through kidney stone surgery in less than six months just this past year. Our lives are in the hands of the creator of all that exists. There's no better place to be. You may be sitting there in a deep trial, deep struggle right now. And you may be searching for all the different ways to get out, and it's not a sin to try to get out of trials, but sometimes it is a sin if all we focus is is on the exit. And we don't focus on what we're meant to learn in it. And so it's an encouragement for us to see that he's with us. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flame will not consume you. What a great thing to meditate on. Not only can we have faith and confidence, but a deeper understanding of God enables us to see how valuable and precious we are to him, verse three and four. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. So how can we have hope in these trials, the fire and the, and the water that overwhelms us? Here he gives the answer once again. I am the Lord your God. This phrase in one form or another is used over 62 times in scripture. I am the Lord your God. You think he wanted you to remember that? You think he wanted his people during this time to remember that? I am the Lord your God. Isaiah affirmed this in two chapters back in 41.10. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God declares who he is. He is the God, the only God, the Holy One, the Savior. Verse four, we, we see the reality that this love, it's not predicated on obedience either, Some of us, we get this system going on in our heads of the good and the bad, and if we outweigh them, then God will love us more and and he'll take care of us more. But the reality is, Israel uh, had a horrible track record of obedience. And before we bash Israel too much, we can look inward or look in the mirror and see that we have a horrible track record too. But fortunately for Israel, and fortunately for us, God's love is not Uh, predicated on obedience. He gives it freely, even in their unrepentant state. He says, precious in my eyes, reminds me of Psalm 139, 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Verse three and four, they actually mention a literal exchange of people on Israel's behalf. So different commentators have different opinions on this. If it's something he's referring to that had happened, but a lot of them actually point to something that not too far in the future, Isaiah was actually prophesying would be an exchange of people for some of God's people who were captive. And so he's giving this prophecy But for us, we can even take it and see and look back. They were looking ahead, but we can look back at the ultimate ransom, the ultimate exchange 
of Jesus himself being exchanged for us on our behalf as our ransom. So we can see that we are valuable and precious in his sight, but also a deeper understanding of God reveals that we are created for a purpose in verse five to seven. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So here it is, we're created for a purpose. Again, twice in the first five verses, he says, fear not. Here in the first two words in verse five, fear not. He says it over and over again through scripture. Just like in verse one, we're reminded once again in verse five, fear not, why? What's the rest of it? I am with you. Not fear not because I'm changing your circumstances or fear not because I'm about to give you more money or fear not because your kids aren't gonna be as annoying as they used to be. Not fear not or any whatever circumstance. He just says fear not because I am with you. I'm with you. And I'll leave you alone. Just like in this song, you talk about the north, the south, the east, the west. Here it is, this picture of Israel being regathered. They've been scattered all over and this, this prophecy of bringing them back together. Jeremiah 31.10 talks about that. It says, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. I love that word picture because it points to who? The coming shepherd, right? Jesus, as the shepherd keeps his flock. Here he is. Ephesians 3.18 talks about the loving care of God toward his people. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. North, south, east, west, height, depth, width, all of it, every direction you can imagine, God's love goes there and it covers you all over. What a great picture. Those who are called by God by name are also, in verse seven, we see created for a purpose, for his glory. John Piper states, God created the world to exhibit the fullness of his glory and the God-centered joy of his people. You are called for a purpose. Our world is crazy. Things are going on are messed up. But we as believers, if you call yourself a believer, you don't have to wonder about your purpose. You don't have to worry about why you're here and why you've been put on this earth. You have a purpose. It's stated right here in verse seven. Why don't we function maybe as Christians the way we should? Why do we misplace our purpose here on earth? Why is it that we often struggle to really see God, that he is with us? And I think oftentimes it points to an identity problem. We all put our identity oftentimes in the wrong thing, in the wrong place, and maybe you put your identity in what you do, or maybe who you have in your family, or the status you have, or the money, or whatever it is that you do. Uh, Maybe, uh, I don't know, whatever it is. You're a gamer, and this is your title. I don't know. You're a YouTuber, and you got this channel. I have no idea, but we all identify ourselves as some way 
And oftentimes, it really doesn't relate to who we really are if we look at scripture. Oftentimes, we function as stars of a movie and God is the extra. And what we do, and we're also the director, so we're the director and the star of our own show, and God is the, the, God is the extra over here, and we're like, oh, God, ooh, this is a tough one, tough scene, come on in. You're part of this one. All right, ready, take, oh, take another one. You didn't do that right, Shh, come on. All right, go back in the green room. We'll call you when we need you. And that's how we treat God, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains life itself. But our identity that we see is of who we are, temporary, and not whose we are. Instead, he should be the director, he should be the star, and we are the extra that he willingly and lovingly allows us to be part of his great story. So oftentimes, we don't choose to function from this true identity as children of God. 2 Corinthians 6.18 states it pretty clear, and I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And even if you look down in this passage, in this chapter, verse 21, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. That's your mission. Now you can do it in all kinds of ways. It might not be singing. For some of you, it doesn't need to be. Maybe not in public, I don't know. Uh, but for some of you, maybe that's not your thing. But you declare his praise in lots of ways. And this is what you're called to do. J.I. Packer brings conviction on this topic with this statement. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Do we really consider daily the fact that we are God's, that we are his a possession of his, that we are his children, this should drive us. The fourth and final thing we can see in a deeper understanding of God is that shows that he stands alone as the one true savior. Verse eight, bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. Let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. So here he is. He's calling all the nations. He's not just calling Israel. He's like, you get whoever you want. Get them all together and have them bring their evidence on how great they are, how powerful they are. Go ahead and stack it up against me and see where they fall. In the same way he does this in Job when he appears to Job and his friends and he says, hey, have you put the stars in the sky? Were you there when the mountains were formed? You're gonna call me and question me in the same way he's like, go ahead, gather them up. Let them go ahead and mount some evidence of how great they are and then show you, I'll show you how you pale 
We kind of saw that revealed to, uh, this past week in some pictures that we saw online of the universe. And of course, some really good memes and other jokes as well. But the idea that this universe and space is so much bigger than we ever imagined and that God is so much greater than we ever thought. And here it is, this call for the nations. He, he calls them about having ears that can't hear and eyes that can't see. It reminds me of Psalm 115, verses five through eight. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. That focus we're talking about, where we bring God in as an extra, that idolatry, that's what it results in. Ears that can't hear, eyes that can't see, feet that can't walk, powerless life. But what we have is the Son of God, the Father, the Spirit. Verse 10 and 11, he says, you're my witnesses. It's actually mentioned twice, that you're my witnesses. No God before me or after me. So what does he say? It's interesting what he says about being a witness in verse 10. He says, you're my witnesses, declare the, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. And it's interesting that he places after recognizing a witness, what are they supposed to do? Who are they, how are they supposed to be identified? It's a servant. It's an interesting statement there. Brings me back to our trip to Rwanda. We had some guys go with us that are gonna be seniors in high school, uh, Chase Moore and Hayden Nix. And these two guys went with us, our team of 11, and those dudes uh, all over the place, wherever we went, were the dudes that were kind of like our grunt workers, you know? We needed something moved, suitcases carried, trunks over here, pick up this, move this, and it was like, uh, man, they just went after it. And they embraced this role as servant. It was interesting. I don't know if Chase was kind of half joking. Maybe he was half serious. But every time I said, hey, let's go do this, or we need to grab this, he's like, I'll follow you anywhere. I don't know if he was just scared because he might get lost, or if actually, you know, he had the servant motto, right? I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do it. And for us, how about us taking that posture? So we're witnesses of God's greatness, but oftentimes we just stop as witnesses. We're really no action to show it. But here he says, you're my witnesses and my servant whom I've chosen. So you get the opportunity to serve as you become a stronger witness. Luke twenty two twenty seven. Jesus says, for who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. As we live out our lives as true Christians, as we live our lives of knowing Christ more and coming to know him more deeply, then our service and our love for others in action just naturally flows out because we become servants of the Most High, because we adopt the way of Jesus, because Jesus lives through us and he is a servant. So we've seen these four things, these four uh, things that we get to observe and be a part of in our deeper understanding of God. I just want us to maybe finish with a few questions of meditation before we sing together. Are you facing difficulty? 
Do you feel as if you're overwhelmed by the floods and fires of life? I would encourage you to immerse yourself in a deeper understanding of the one who is with you through it all. Some of you are going through horrible, fiery trials right now, floods of life that are just overwhelming you. The best medicine, the best thing that you can do is to immerse yourself in the word of God and passages like this that say, I'm with you, I'm here for you. You are part of me, I am yours, you are mine. How great is it that we get to see God as our father even in these times? Do you doubt God's love for you? Do you find it hard to believe that he loves you really, completely? Your logic will not help you figure that out. Your circumstances definitely won't help you figure it out as you struggle at times. But when you get into the word and dive deep into the word, you make a commitment and a habit of getting in there and eating it up where you will see just how great his love is for you. Another question might be, have you found yourself focusing on the temporary, wrapped up in the here and now? Pursuing goals that ultimately leave you wanting more? It is not wrong to be ambitious, but it is wrong to be ambitious for the wrong things, things that don't last. Well, get some friends together that love Jesus. Read the word together. Be accountable to one another. Don't live on your own in a silo as a family. He's created community. He's designed us for community. If you're not in community, reach out to one of us. Our contact's all over the website. Reach out. We will connect you with deep community so that you can be encouraged and not settle for focusing on the temporary. Maybe the last question we can look at, last two questions, are you weighed down by how crazy this world has gotten? Have you lost hope in this world? Hopefully all of you can answer yes. That is a great place to be. We were never meant to put our hope in people. They're screw-ups just like us. Politicians, are you kidding me? We're all screwed up. We're not meant to put our hope and our faith in people or policies or any plans that a human puts out there. We are meant to put our hope in this great God that says, I am yours and you are mine. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. So for us, as we wrap up our time together, let this time be as in this song and as we sing these words to God, let it be a time of meditation, maybe a time of confession, maybe a time of just saying, God, I put my hope in the wrong things. These waters and these fires, they've overwhelmed me. Instead, maybe confess, all I have is you. I have no hope. I've tried everything. Or maybe you don't know Jesus and today's the day that you can come to know him and know that he will be yours always if you trust him as your savior. Let's pray. God, 
we are so very thankful. No matter how many times we deny you with our lives and our actions, that you are there. You love us unconditionally. That we are yours. You are ours. Lord, for those that don't know you in this room, I pray that this will be a time where they just finally stop running, finally stop chasing the things that don't matter and that they will come to the understanding that you are life. You are what matters. Help them to trust you even today. Convict us all of our need to put our hope and faith in you. Bless us as we continue to worship today. In your name we pray, amen.